So glad that you could join us today. We are walking together. We are committed that as long as the coronavirus continues, we're going to look out for one another. No one stands alone. And that's why we have that button on the home screen that we added for such a time as this. It's simple. You can find it, I need help. And as you fill out that form, it might be spiritual support, physical, or financial. And we want to walk with you, provide. We're family. We're looking out for one another. We're praying for one another. And we're going to stick together through this season. And you can find that button on your homepage. Also today, we're kicking off a new series. We're in the book of Isaiah. This is a summer series. So if you're thinking about what book in the Bible, maybe read through the entire book this summer, Isaiah. It's a long book. It's 66 chapters. So dive in right away. Anytime you're reading a new book in the Bible, it's great to get a study Bible or check out the context. We're going to walk through some of that today as well. And as you read the Bible, highlight whether it's a hard copy or on your phone, you want to highlight different verses, write down notes, what is God saying to you? Just immerse yourself in God's word. God's word is coming right from him. It's reliable. He's communicating to you in a personal way. It'll be the book of Isaiah this summer. Uh, Dear America is the series title. And I think our country is on our hearts right now. I encourage you to pray for our country during this series. And Isaiah's message to kick it off is turn to God now. And I think that is a prayer for our nation, that we would turn to God now in an authentic and deep way. The book of Isaiah, let's get started. Let's go to God with prayer. Father God, thank you that you meet with us, that you speak to us. Lord, you speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we need your voice. Your voice is like no other voice. We thank you, God, that we live in a country where we can worship you freely. God, we can hold your word. We can proclaim your name, Jesus. And Lord, we walk together as family. I pray that if anyone today is hurting or alone, God, that they would get connected, whether it's a life group or that form that we put on. And I pray that we would truly walk together during this season with your strength and your hope and your joy. Guide our time together now in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get to know Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. He's married and he has two sons. Isaiah's writing this letter about 700 years before Christ. He has a ministry that covers about 60 years. Isaiah is someone who has access to the royal courts. He's friends with different kings, but he's also very humble. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read that someone's a prophet, another phrase that was used or another word is those are seers because they can see right now the realities that are going on, but they can also look ahead and what God is going to do, and they'll speak that truth to people, and it's a both right now and a look ahead. Those are seers. There's many prophets and many seers in the Old Testament, and many of the books are named after a prophet. Isaiah is at the forefront of that list because it's the longest book and it's the most comprehensive of the prophets. Now, when you take in the book of Isaiah, 
you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. In fact, it's called the fifth gospel. There's four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all focusing on the teaching and life and miracles of Jesus and who he is. But in the Old Testament, some books, they're so descriptive and prophetic about who Jesus is, describing our Lord. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus' birth, is going to lay out so many details. We're going to get to know the Lord better as we understand the book of Isaiah. The context is that Isaiah's in Jerusalem, and it's a time of upheaval. There's sin, there's struggles, there's stubbornness. Kind of sounds like right now, doesn't it? It's a time of upheaval and there's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of souls that are sleepy, a lot of souls that have drifted from God. And so Isaiah's gonna bring a combination. Prose, poetry, prophecy, personification. Uh, he's going to do whatever he can to care for people's souls. And I encourage you during this time, whatever you can do to serve our country, to love your neighbor, to care for people's souls, Isaiah's setting that example. And it's a pivotal time in Israel's history, 700 years before Christ. It's a pivotal time in our country right now. So much was hanging in the balance then. So much is hanging in the balance right now. We want to be prayerful for our nation. And Dear America is the title of this series. Dear America, because we love our country so much. Our nation is so dear to us and we care about the soul of our nation. Isaiah's writing, it's both personal and national. And I think in this book, you will see that God is speaking to your soul personally and God is also speaking to the soul of our nation. This is an interesting aspect of Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Do you know how many books there are in the Bible? It sounds like Bible trivia. There's 66 books in the Bible. Now, the book of Isaiah can be divided really into two halves. And the first half is 39 chapters. And a theme of the first half is the holiness of God, even the judgment of God. And then the next 27 chapters, starting in chapter 40, we have the comfort of God and the grace of God. And it's interesting, the Bible, 66 books, <clears throat> you have the Old Testament, 39 books, and the New Testament, 27 books. But notice these themes. We're going to spend the first few weeks in the first 39 chapters, talking about the holiness of God. And then we'll spend the bulk of this series in the latter half of the book, starting in chapter 40 and the comfort of God. Historically, here's our situation. 722. Go ahead and say that out loud. 722. Very significant year in Israel's history. Assyria came in to the northern kingdom. Israel, the Israelites were divided into two kingdoms. Ten tribes in the north, two in the south. In 722, because of the rebellion against God, Assyria came in and brought the ten northern tribes into exile. That was 722. Here's a spoiler alert. In 586, Babylon is going to come in and take the southern two tribes, take them off into exile. In Isaiah's writing, in between the northern tribes, the ten of the tribes already in exile, the two tribes are gathered, and Isaiah's trying to help them turn to God. The message is turn to God now. It comes with a sense of urgency. It's very earnest. It's very sincere. It's out of love. Turn to God now. Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the one to turn to. Yahweh is salvation. And this book is almost a cry from the prophet's heart. A cry from heaven as well. Turn to God 
now. That lays the, the scene. That's the stage. That's the context as we dive in to chapter one. Today we're going to look at different verses, chapters one through five. So if you have a hard copy of the Bible, be ready to flip those pages. And we're going to cover a lot of truth uh, today. All right. So as we begin, Isaiah's speaking. Turn to God now. There's three things that we're going to consider together. We're going to highlight three things that uh, we want to consider. The first one is the condition of your soul. How would you describe the condition of your soul? Let's take a look at the condition of souls then. Starting in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, son that he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Isaiah starts out strong and a lot of the prophets are very direct, but have you ever felt like you needed to say something and it's been just stored up for a while and now it's gonna come forth? And how much more when you know it's coming from God and God wants you to say something and then you bring it and he brings it in truth and love. And that's what we see with Jesus. He's full of truth and love. Here's some truth that Isaiah brings. He says, think about the animals. You know, animals are very aware of who feeds them. In fact, animals know who provides, who sustains, and they honor that person. Uh, donkeys, okay? Not the brightest animal in the pack, but even donkeys, Isaiah says, know the one who sustains, know the one who provides and honors their master. Donkeys do that. But the people that Isaiah's talking to, they don't honor the one who's provided everything for them, who sustains every breath. In fact, they've drifted. People are turning away from God. That's what Isaiah says. They're turning away from God. Sinful is a word that's repeated throughout this, uh, this book right here. To sin means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Well, who sets the mark? God sets the mark. It's interesting today that people want to move the mark. They want to change the mark. They want to define the mark. They'll say, let me decide what the mark is. Let me lower the bar. Let me move the standard. No, God sets the mark. He sets the bullseye. And when we miss that mark, that's called sin. And we miss it every single day. And so don't lie on top of missing the mark. 25 times in the book of Isaiah, God's name is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel, God never lowers his standard. It's heavenly in its perfection. And God doesn't grade on a curve. There's a big difference between a heavenly standard and who's in the room. When I was in math class, all right, back in high school, I was relieved when we were grading on a curve. I wasn't that confident in my math skills. But sometimes I'd look around the room and think, you know, I can do better than Dan. 
I think I'm ahead of Gina, and I'm a little bit ahead of Thad, too. I'm going to do all right on this test. There's a big difference between looking around and who's in the room and how are they doing versus looking up and who is this holy God. And God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't lower his standard. God walks in perfect holiness. And then he has his word that he wants us to honor him. You say, well, what are the specifics of dishonoring God? Well, chapter 2 in verse 7, this is the summary of their condition. It says their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. That's prosperity and idolatry. Prosperity can be a great blessing, but one of the dangers of prosperity is selfishness, self-reliance, and many idols. In a prosperous land, it's so easy to form substitutes for God and think we don't need God. Look what we've done by our hands, and they drifted from the Lord. That combination of prosperity and idolatry. Here's some of the symptoms of their spiritual condition. As you read through the book of Isaiah, these are some specifics that stand out. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of pride in self-reliance. A lot of people are mistreated in the land, overlooking those in need, loving things, very materialistic, very focused on things, drunk, and then calling evil good and good evil. Those are some of the symptoms of the spiritual condition. And what you see in the land at that time and what you see as Isaiah is speaking is that there is the height of the glory of God and then there's the honest depth of our sin. That God's thoughts and God's ways are so different than our thoughts and our ways. And there is this gap that Isaiah is bringing to the attention of the people who are kind of walking around like, there's nothing wrong. We're good. We're good. There's no sin here. No issues here. And just full of themselves, full of the prosperity and yet their souls are not healthy. And there's a lot of issues. When your soul's not healthy, it's going to show up in a lot of ways. And the primary issue then is the same primary issue in America today, and it's primarily spiritual. It is spiritual. There's a lot of symptoms we want to change, and there's a lot of meaningful change that's needed, but where it all starts, more important than anything else, is our souls in a change of heart and a spiritual health, and an abiding in a closeness with God. We need to turn to God now. It's Isaiah's message, and it's timely for today. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 8, as he was talking to his followers, starting in verse 34. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And look at this question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The Israelites had so much prosperity but an unhealthy soul. You can have all the things and all the gadgets and all the latest, but if your soul is empty, there's a hollowness, a hollowness to the soul. And the soul is the most important thing in our lives, even more important than our intellect or more important than our emotions. Our soul, 
the real us, the core of us, connecting with God. There's nothing more powerful than to connect, be accepted, loved, and abide with a holy, righteous, uh, wonderful, gracious, loving God. And that's where Isaiah is trying to lead the people. And here's the context again. 722. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say 722. 722, very significant year. That's when the people saw the 10 tribes taken off into exile by Assyria. Have you ever seen someone go down a destructive path? Have you ever taken note, learned from that, saw the addictions, saw the impact, and said, I'm never going that way. I'm learning from that destruction. We're going to go the other way. They had an opportunity. I think of people with drunk driving. Maybe you've even driven past someone. Maybe it was a tragic accident where someone was drinking and driving. And you think, we're never going to do that again. We'll never do that. And you know, when you pull away from an accident, you drive slowly and you're cautious and you watch. But what happens 10 miles down the road? What happens 20 miles down the road? What happens when nobody's looking? What happens? Well, the years go on and they didn't learn from what happened with the Syrian exile. They're stubborn with their sin. They're going to go down the same path and Isaiah's pleading with them in love. And God is grieving. God is grieving in this. In verse 21, we read, see how the faithful city has become a harlot? Those are strong words, strong images. Uh, spiritual unfaithfulness. God says, what once was a faithful group is now like a harlot. What, what does that mean? Think of marriage. If someone's been faithful to their spouse and then they drift, they find someone else, they cheat on their spouse, imagine that pain. Imagine that pain of the person you made a covenant with, the person who's going to be faithful, the person that you became vulnerable with, that you committed your life to doing life together. And what do they do? They choose someone else. They walk out. They don't even tell you. They just cheat on you. That pain. The Bible says God loves us with a jealous love. It's because he loves us so much. It's a healthy jealousy. And yet the people turn their backs and they wander and they're full of themselves and their souls are sleepy and they're just looking for pleasures and, and they've forsaken me. And so those are the words God puts on it. And you say, wow, these prophets are intense. Is the whole book this intense? Isaiah has some of the best news. And there's a wide range of chapters. But you know what? As you hear this, you go, wow, this is, this is so real. <laughs> I mean, this is that real. And the phrase, the, the question that kept coming to me as I was preparing this and praying over this, if you can't be real, how will you heal? If you can't be real with God and with yourself, with other people, how will you ever heal? Let's say that again. If you can't be real, how are you going to heal? And being real, it's the prerequisite for the healing that God wants to bring. So let's be real. I've got a picture from our house, the living room. And this picture is, now it's a little sideways, but there's Legos everywhere. That's our living room. I'm being real. I'm giving you a glimpse into our living room right now. Uh, COVID coping. You don't look at me like you're not doing any COVID coping. We all are. And in our house, the living room became Legos. We've got Legos on the blanket, Legos on the couch. We brought down a couple extra tables. It's just Legos everywhere. This metaphor is not perfect because Legos really aren't sin. But at that time in the land, there was sin covering the ground. 
sin covering the ground. Now, if you've ever stepped on a Lego, that might feel like sin. Uh, That happens a lot. But these Legos, there's pieces everywhere. And you know what the condition was as Isaiah talks to the soul of a nation and the soul of the people? They've made so many bad decisions, that their sin is everywhere, and they just feel, there's pieces, there's effects all over, and it can start to feel hopeless. Like, who can take care of this mess? Look at what we've got on our hands. And that's where the hope comes in. Hope in the Lord. Yahweh. Uh, Remember Isaiah's name? Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, 300 times in Isaiah. You say, what do you do when your life feels overwhelming? What do you do when there's sin everywhere in the land? What do you do? Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Do you think the people got tired of hearing that out of Isaiah's mouth? Yahweh, Yahweh. Hasn't he said that like a hundred times? Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Who's Yahweh? Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. The answer, Yahweh. Think of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. God formed a people, a nation. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. Remember the covenant. Remember Yahweh. What about the Mosaic covenant? God made it so clear to Moses, to the people, that if you honor me and you listen to me, you walk with me, there's going to be an abundant blessings. There's going to be so much fruit in your life. But you know what? If you dishonor me and you do your own thing and you rebel, there's going to be destruction. There's going to be judgment. This is the Mosaic covenant. There's covenants. Yahweh, a covenant-keeping God. But anytime you can turn to our gracious God, anytime you can turn to Yahweh, he will restore, he will renew, he will forgive, he will heal the land. Just turn to God. If you're overwhelmed, turn to Yahweh. 300 times, Isaiah says, 300 times, turn to gracious, covenant-keeping, faithful, loving God. You can turn to him right now. Turn to God now. So we check. We check our souls. How are we doing? Are we abiding with Yahweh? Are we trusting this covenant-keeping God and bearing much fruit? Well, we need a cure. And the second thing to consider today is the cure for the stains. This is what God says. What an invitation. In verse 18, chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And God declares it. There's an invitation. He says, come. That's relational. That's not a bluff. Come as you are. Just come right now. Relational. Come home, God is saying. And then he also says, let us reason together. Now, this is a legal term. This is a term, as you picture a courtroom where there's evidence. And is it convincing? And you need the full truth. Let's reason together. Let's talk truth. Let's be real. And so come. Let's get real together And let's see that restoration in the land. Uh, God brings accountability. God brings accountability, and accountability is good. Let me say this. Maybe uh, you didn't grow up in a church, or you grew up in a home where you would say there is no sin, or sin's not a big deal. I mean, that was the home I grew up in, is I just didn't know the Bible, And so when I started to read the Bible, I was like, wow, this is so different. This whole sin concept's new and like, what is sin and what isn't? And like, can you rely on the Bible? I mean, that's the background I had. 
But then there's other people listening right now and you've come from a very harsh background where it was maybe legalistic and it was just guilt and shame and guilt and shame. And the prophets are tough for you because it can trigger some of those memories and some of that guilt and shame that wasn't coming from God and legalism that went way beyond what the Bible says. And so we come to this text in different backgrounds. And if you come from a background where sin is a new concept, you know, it's more like my upbringing, then I would just say this, um, just listen to what God is saying, start to take that in, start to trust him in new ways in terms of his holiness. If you come from background that's full of guilt and shame, that's not, the enemy is an accuser. God is full of truth, truth and grace. And we want to honor God's holiness, but know that Jesus came to set us free from guilt and shame and sin, and he'll do that work. So don't let your past weigh you down or carry things God doesn't want you to carry. But I, I want to highlight the different perspectives as we approach this text. And so here's some accountability in this text. And I'm going to get specific because God's very specific, and I'm going to share it's important to know what was going on in the land then and what is Isaiah talking about. So I'm just going to read some different verses and you can just soak it in. There'd be a lot of page turning, but if you, you're up for it, you can go for that too. Chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. God often talks of day of judgment, day of accountability, day of reckoning. And Isaiah was highlighting this. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, we read Jerusalem staggers. That's their spiritual condition. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. They look on their face. That look on their face testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. So not only are they sinning, but they're parading their sin like Sodom in the land. And then we read in verse 16, the Lord says, the women of Zion are haughty, all right, proud, full of themselves, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, tripping along with mincing steps, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. So where's the purity with the ladies? It's just hard to find in the land. Uh, then we see chapter 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. And uh, so they're just constantly, when can I get the next drink? What's the next drug? What's the next combination and addictions? And they're just running after that. They're a slave to that sin. And then verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So the culture is trying to redefine God's word and saying, oh, you're saying that's good. That's not good. This is good. And actually this, which is evil, well, that's good. And then they'll flip it and say, no, you got light and darkness all flipped around. And so they're trying to take light and call it darkness and good and call it evil. And that's the predominant voice of the culture. So those are the specifics. And God says it's like a vineyard. I couldn't do more for the vineyard. God says, I've given everything to the vineyard and it's bad grapes, bad grapes in this vineyard. But I just keep being so gracious to the vineyard, but then there's bad grapes. And that summarizes the condition. You say, well, how can there be a cure? What would be the cure? And a couple things here. First of all, accountability is actually very positive, healthy accountability. And if someone is rebelling, 
they don't want accountability. That's the last thing they want is someone holding them accountable. But God is holy. And now his holiness, it's a given in one sense because why would we worship a God that wasn't holy and perfect? I mean, we want a flawed God that is not faithful and is not pure and not moral. And no, God is. And he has full authority because he's our creator. And he brings judgment. And that's actually a good thing. Because why? It's important we trust God with judgment. When someone wrongs you, don't take revenge, but you say vengeance is the Lord. I trust the Lord with judgment. We want to know that God is fair, that God has the final say, that with all the injustice we see in this world, we can still trust God. At the end, he's going to sort things out and get it right. And so judgment often precedes restoration. And you look at the sin in this passage and it builds tension. It builds tension then, it builds tension now. You look at God's holiness, it builds tension. You look at accountability, it builds tension. You look at the aspect that God judges, judges fairly, that builds tension. And this tension just grows and grows and there's tension in our land spiritually right now and there's tension. And that's okay. That's okay. God brings that. God brings that tension. And ultimately it all leads us to Jesus because we cannot relieve the tension on our own. We need a savior. And when you know God's holy and you know every day we're missing the mark and you're gonna be real before there's healing, then we come to God for his grace. We come contrite. We come with repentance. We receive his grace, love. There's healing in the land, but we need to go to Yahweh. We need to go to God. And people will try to remove today God's standards, God's presence, God's word, accountability, judgment. But the answer isn't to remove all those realities. We can't remove them. And ultimately, we know we're not perfect. So the key question in so many religions is how do you find forgiveness and acceptance and love? And all of this points to Jesus. He's unrivaled. But the people then are kind of like the people today. And they're going to find two lame solutions. And I'll just call them these. These don't work. This is what they try to do. Number one, they go, okay, let's see. We've sinned against God. Let's just get more religious. That'll do it. Let's just get more religious. Let's have a few more festivals. Uh, let's have a few more animal sacrifices. Let's say a few longer prayers. Uh, let's do a few more rituals. Uh, make sure there's a little more incense and just pile on the religion, but they never change their hearts. They never repent. They just get more religious and they try to fake more people out and it's on the outside and nothing has really changed in the deep places of their life. There's no repentance. There's no change of heart, but they think, yeah, we took care of it. We got more religious. That doesn't work doesn't work. The other thing they do is now they're feeling threatened. They saw what happened to Syria, took out the 10 northern tribes. So they look around and go, oh, we better make friends with Egypt. Like instead of turning to God, let's turn to Egypt. And do you know how many people today, instead of turning to God, will turn to someone else or something else? Well, well that person, they're strong. I'll just hide behind them. Uh, that thing gives me a lot of pleasure. I'll just hide behind that. I'm going to look for some ally, something that makes me feel good, some false security, and just cling to the false security instead of going to Yahweh. Folks, those are the classic two reactions that don't work. Try to get super religious and pile it on thick or just try to grab someone else or something else instead of turning to God. And it's true then, it's true today. And God is calling people back. 
Now, these are probably preacher's words because they all have the same prefix. <laughs> but the first one is just realize the condition of our souls. We're going to realize that. Then we're going to repent, which means 180 degrees, turn from sin, turn to God. We're going to return. It's a relationship. We're coming home. And then there's going to be renewal in our lives. Things are restored that have been uh, broken for a long time. And that's a process, realizing, not playing games, returning to our gracious God, repenting from sin, restoration, renewal. That's how God moves. That's how he works. And a lot of people skip over that and say, I'm good here, not much sin here. Yeah, I came into the Lord when I was seven and you know what, I think I've just been good ever since. And in our culture that's so fast paced, we just microwave sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus. We just microwave abiding. And we just think, oh, it's just quick. You just do that, do that, we're good again. And we don't go to the deep places of the soul, the deep places. And so what does God bring in the book of Isaiah? He brings a warning and a yearning. God brings a warning and a yearning. And you think of that grace and truth. Here's the warning. And I want to give you a picture from our neighborhood. It's been kind of a wild week regarding bears in our neighborhood. And I know you believe me and trust me, but I also got some pictures uh, for the skeptics in the group. Now it's way in the background. I don't know if you can zoom in, check it out, but there's a been a bear spotting in our neighborhood and not just one bear, but we've got a mama bear and then the cubs as well. And you know the old phrase, you never want to get between a mama bear and the cubs. And that's true in a whole bunch of settings in life, but let's just keep it to bears. Right now we've got mama bear and cubs and people have been speaking up all week. You know what? We saw them down in the park by the tennis courts. We saw them down by the lake. We saw them by the path. We saw them by our house. We saw them in our backyard. You know what? They came in just destroyed the bird feeder and they took the bird food. They are hungry. They're ravenous. There's bears everywhere. Like here they are walking around. They'll come right up to your house. That was two houses away from us. So we've been living in the bear zone all week and it's changed the way we're talking. It's changed the way we're thinking. Now I think maybe some of our kids want to just go see the bear, but my wife and I were out for a walk with our dog and we're a little more cautious, but we couldn't help on our walk start talking about what are we going to do if the bear just shows up? What are we going to do? And uh, do you make a big posture? Do you make a lot of noise? Do you just sit there and pretend like uh, maybe you've fallen asleep or dead or something? Like, what do you do? And I just think, I'm running. I, I'm running. I don't, anyone else running if the bear comes calmly, maybe calmly, moving away at first and running? And I said, I'm going to check because you get that plan in your head. Maybe you've been camping. What do we do if a bear shows up? Oh, what's the plan? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I was just thinking, I'm checking if there's any cars around, if I can get in the car. But bears can run faster, climb trees, swim faster. I mean, and I told my wife, I said, I told Lori, I'm just going to break a window in a house and jump in. And so that's how ridiculous it's been in, in our neighborhood this week. I said, if, if we see the bear and it's chasing us, it's coming after, I'm breaking into a window, I'm jumping into a house and closing the door and we'll take it from there. And we're walking our dog and we say, well, what about Bella? You know, if Bella wants to sacrifice to stall the bear, then so be it. I mean, who am I? There's no greater love than to lay down your life. And you know, Bella, that's what Bella wants to do. Let's just go. So all these scenarios play in my mind, but it's interesting with the bear, how it'll change the way you just go for a walk. Instead of being romantic, we're talking about bears. The devil is like a lion prowling around seeking to devour. The bear was like 
uh, really, it was like the invasion in 586 when Babylon came in. Babylon's like a bear in this. And you say, uh, there's a warning coming from God that the threat is real and that you need to turn now. And in that attitude, they could have been in the country like, what do you mean? Our country? Never. We've always been prosperous. We've always thrived. Something in our country that would rock our world? No, no, no. This is, and for them, this is the Israelites. For us, we can say, this is America. Nothing will ever come to challenge it. it. We won't have it here. We won't have it. And God says to them, here's a warning. You need to turn. You need to turn from sin and humble yourself and pray so that there's healing in the land. It was a warning. Got their attention but then also a yearning. And the yearning, God says, come, and though your sins are like scarlet. And back then they had a crimson, it was based on a worm, a little crimson worm. And they would take that red dye. So everyone knew that color crimson, but I'm going to make it like snow. I'm going to make it like wool. I'm going to forgive you fully, but you need to come and receive it. And ultimately the forgiveness, you talk about crimson, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins comes through the blood of Jesus. And God will heal and forgive a sleepy soul, a complacent soul, a selfish soul, an empty soul, a stubborn soul. There's no soul that's too difficult for Jesus. What he did on the cross, died for our sins, risen, he is the one, the shepherd of your soul. And he is the cure. COVID right now, we think we don't have a cure. We don't have a vaccination. We can't, what can we do? And there's so much uncertainty. I want to tell you there's a cure for the soul. And his name is Jesus. And there's no uncertainty. He's got a track record. He's been faithful in every generation, in every nation. We know the cure. The cure is relational with Jesus. And we got to spread that good news. Because people right now are saying, oh, there's no cure. Is there a cure? Is there any hope? Is there any joy? Is there any love? Is there anything out here? Is there anything? What's going on? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. There's a definite cure. Never fail you. Never, never forsake you. His name is Jesus. And I'll just close with the cleansing of the Lord. Uh, in Isaiah, different names for God. I've been referring to some of them. The Lord Almighty 62 times, which means the Lord is able. The Lord is able. And in, in chapter 1, verse 26, we read this, I will restore your judges, uh, your counselors, as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness. You'll be called the faithful city. So you went from faithful to harlot. You're going to go from harlot to faithful. Get a vision of what can be in the full restoration that God brings. I, I really am so encouraged what I see in Kent right now. People loving their city, just bringing so much food, so much love, sharing Jesus in Kent. And it's amazing. Uh, we've done a lot here. Grace loves Auburn. Lord willing, we're going to do a lot more. We're going to do a lot more with collaboration. And as people have more economic need, financial need, food need, we want to do more to meet people's physical needs, meet people's spiritual needs. And as a church, we want to step up together and restoration, a faithful city, a loving city, united city where needs are met and people are cared for and no one's alone and God is glorified. That vision is what lands on the people in the middle of what they're going through. And this is where we see the grace of God. There's a remnant. 
And uh, let me read this verse too. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, chief among the mountains. It'll be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. Many people will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And what you see is that even the most difficult times, God preserves a remnant, a people who will listen to the Spirit, a people who abide with Jesus, people who will be faithful with God, and this remnant will stand. And, and you just see remnant, remnant, remnant in the, in the most difficult times spiritually. And in the worst decisions, there's this remnant. And then the people are going to go into exile. But even in exile, far away from God, you still see God's provision. You still see his grace. He still protects them, preserves them, and ultimately is going to bring them back from Babylon and bring them back. And so it's a word of hope looking forward from Isaiah, but you've got to turn to Jesus. You've got to turn to Jesus. Here's our last verse. It's from Hebrews. And in, we read in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. You think of Isaiah and what was said in the past at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom him also he made the universe. This is Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where Jesus is right now. After he died for sins, risen, he's at the Father's right hand. And so we look to Jesus. God wants to cleanse our souls. God wants to fill our souls. What do we do? We stop and check. What's the condition of our souls right now? Who's the cure for this condition? Jesus. And we say yes to the Lord, that he would cleanse, that he would fill our souls. And when your soul is healthy, the land starts to heal. The land starts to heal. Uh, during this time right now, I'm going to invite the, praised, the worship team to come up. And we're going to sing it as well with my soul. And I encourage you right now, to, it could be a silent song for you. You just listen. But ask God to search your soul. Ask God to search your soul. You know what's easy right now is to find 99 problems in the nation. I, I just hear people pointing them out. There's legitimate problems. We need meaningful change. I wouldn't shrink any of those. But what we need most is a spiritual work. That's where it begins. It's a spiritual work and it's turning to God. Healthy souls. More of Jesus. Jesus is the one who will empower, heal, guide us, guide our conversations, stir us to action. Jesus is the one who will do it. But our souls will not be healthy if we don't abide with Jesus. Take this sweet time right now with the Lord to let him search your heart, return to him. Let him start to bring restoration. Maybe remove resentment, remove despair, remove sin, remove addictions. Let Jesus come in and have his way. Let him have his way as we sing together.